Amen. Well, happy 4th of July, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Justin, one of the elders here, uh, lead teacher at Peninsula Grace, and uh, looking forward to spending some time with each other, worshiping our, our good God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're in Psalm 25, as we're walking through this series in the Psalms uh, this summer. And, uh, but I want to start, uh, as, as we begin our time together, if you would indulge me, if you'd close your eyes to the begin here. Uh, a little exercise. Don't worry, we're not already done, if you thought that was the case. Uh, imagine for the next 35 minutes that instead of me preaching a sermon like normal, uh, that today we would be in complete silence, mostly silent, and you are just going to pray, and it's just going to be you and God. Now, what would your first reaction to that be? 35 minutes of silence before God. Would there be excitement? Like, sweet, way better than listening to Justin. Maybe there'd be awkwardness, like, is, you know, it's, it's the uncle with the family reunion that you don't know very well, and hey, God, uh, what's new with you? Hey, how's the weather? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's your call, isn't it? Um, what would you talk about? What would you, what would you say to God? Uh, would you even know, what, what, what would we do with that? Would that 35 minutes feel like an eternity? What would that, what would that be like? You can open your eyes, you know, maybe, like, if you're like me, uh, oftentimes, uh, my prayers can kind of default to a list of requests that I have uh, from God, sort of my, my personal Santa Claus. And, and, you know, I know Jill and I, most nights uh, before we fall asleep, we'll just, you know, thank God for the day, uh, ask for a good night's rest that Jill will be able to in, endure uh, my snoring once again, and uh, that the next day we'd be able to wake up with strength and energy for the day at work, and that, the, that it would go smooth, our day would go smooth, that we would be able to be salt and light to the people we're around, to be able to share the love of Jesus, and word and deed, in, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> that one he's not going to answer. Um, we know the Bible tells us um, that we should pray, um, but what should we be praying for? Um, is it, only, is it okay, or should we only be asking for spiritual stuff? Like, are we only supposed to ask, God, um, would thy, thy will be done, eth? Like, are we supposed to pray in KJV? Uh, just pray that everybody would get a Bible. Like, what are, we, what are we allowed to ask God for? Are we allowed to ask him that when our relatives are visiting next week, that we would have some sunshine? Like, are we allowed to ask for prayer for our, our loved ones, for health? Uh, can, we, can we pray for that job that we're hoping would open up for us, that, that house that we were looking to maybe move into? Can I pray that Duke would win the big game tonight? Yes and amen. Let's go, Duke. Let's go, Duke. Uh, we're, we're looking this, this summer, we're calling this series a summer in Psalm Springs. That we're looking at different categories of psalms and how we read those psalms. And this week we're going to be looking at petition psalms. In our reading plan on the website or out front, we, we, we've been looking at uh, this week a series of psalms where we see David and, and other authors in the psalms making petitions before God. A petition, uh, a lot of us would probably think of like the, a written petition that we would pass around. It's a, it's a formal request where we're asking a leader or a group of people to make some sort of change. So I was looking up at some recent petitions that were actually online. These are real ones. One of them was to deport Justin Bieber, uh, to send him back to Canada. I don't know. I don't know if you were involved in that or not. Uh, and then there was also one to ban sporks. 
which personally I'm against. I think there's a, a real use for sporks in my life. I don't know where you stand on those, um, but important issues. So um, are we, we're bringing formal requests to God, hopefully more important than Justin Bieber and sporks. Um, of course, we must let God inform us on what prayer looks like, what we ask for, uh, how we come to him. And so we want to go to his word this morning to inform us on that. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 25 today. And the cool thing about Psalm 25, it's what we call an acrostic, uh, which means in this case, there are 22 verses in the Psalms. There are 22 Hebrew uh, alphabet letters. And so each of the verses in this Hebrew, they read from right to left, would begin with a different letter in order of the Hebrew alphabet. There's a few little exceptions, but that's basically what's going on here. One of the reasons they would do that is it was easier to remember. Remember, these people did not, most of them did not have their own copy of, of the, the, the Psalms in front of them. So they would memorize these songs as a community to remember their, their melodies. Psalm means a melody. So they're singing these songs together. And so doing something like this, starting each A is for apple, like some kind of a song where it's just easier to remember the lines. And so they'd sing those together. Now, unfortunately for us, we don't have the melody. So we can't sing it together. But I do want us to, to read this together. If you'd stand with me, I want us to declare this truth. And and here's my exercise for us this morning. Uh, we're talking about the requests that we make to God. So as we're reading this together, there's 22 verses, so it's a little bit longer. But I want us to, as we're reading, also be making a mental note of what are the requests that David asks of God. What, what are the petitions that he's making in Psalm 25? All right, so let's, let's read this together. You ready? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. It's a mouthful. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. And teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes 
and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. This is God's word. You have a seat. So we want to be looking at this psalm where David's asking these things and, and, and allowing it to inform our heart in the way that we come to God. And the first question we want to ask each other, if you've got your blanks in your, in your bulletin, is should we even be asking God in the first place? So if God is sovereign, meaning he's in charge, he knows everything, uh, he is uh, in, in control, he's all-powerful, and, and if his will will be done, then should we even be asking him for things in the first place? Is there any point to that? Or is it more like the little kid helping mom and dad in the kitchen, right? Mixing a bowl that's completely empty. And just a good job. Thanks for all your help, big guy, right? And so we're just asking God. He's like, oh, that's really cute, right? But I do what I want. Like, is that God's mentality with us? Just pretending like we're helping when we pray. Well, a read through the Bible, a read through the Psalms shows us that God definitely wants us to ask. In fact, he delights in our asking. David is asking for things in Psalm 25. I mean, you look at the highlights here. I just kind of highlighted what I saw as 16 different requests that God makes. I don't know which ones stood out to you as we were reading. But there's a lot of them. All over the Bible, we see God, people asking things for God and him responding. You remember in, in, in Genesis when Abraham's having this like negotiation with God, where God's going gonna to rain fire and judgment down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, God, what if there's 50 righteous people? Will you change your mind? He says, I won't, I won't do it. Well, how about 10 people? It's a shady place, right? And God's like, well, and then he's like, well, what if there's like a really friendly dog rolling around there? Would you not get smite Sodom and Gomorrah? There, there's this back and forth between God and Abraham. We see this in uh, Jesus. He's talking to his disciples in John. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and then listen to this, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So, so he invites his disciples to not only to pray, but he says it's effective. I mean, what is the Lord's prayer? It's six requests. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. We see this in James as well. James 4.2. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. And James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working or it availeth much. It's effective. Not only are we told to ask, but we're told here that the asking does stuff. And man, what a marvelous mystery that the, the all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, in-charge God of the universe has given us this personal invitation to move his sovereign hand through prayer. I mean, if, if this is true, if this is true, then man, we should be a people who are always praying. Always asking. Now, it doesn't mean we're always going to be given the exact thing that we ask for. And we know that God is never going to violate his character. and His promises will come, come to fruition. But what we see here, that we're, we are invited to some degree into this active participation in, in God's plans. Now, what God desires most from us is an intimacy with us. He, he desires union with us. And part of that, it, it, it involves asking. It involves asking for help. It comes bringing our, our requests to him. So, you know, I, I've, uh, I love when Jill comes to me and asks me to, to help her with things. 
unless it's the fourth quarter of the basketball game I'm watching, then that's not a convenient time for me. Uh, but you know, I love when she says, hey, Justin, could you get the, the vase from the top shelf since you're so tall? <laughs> so five, all five, nine and a half, five, nine and a half of me reaches up there. Here you go, baby, right? Justin, would you open this jar for me since your muscles are so enormous? I said, I love you. I'd love to do that, right? Or, or man, can we talk this through? Like, I'm having, a, I'm having a tough time. I'm struggling. Can you just listen and, and walk through this with me? I love it. thrills me when she invites me in to be able to help her and vice versa. I, I, I'm not saying here that God's in some desperate need of an ego stroke. That's not, that's not what we're... But what we see is a father who delights in us asking because our father delights in giving to us. In, in Matthew 7, he says, he says, an earthly father loves giving good things to their children. He says, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He longs for this. I love Amanda Williams puts it this way. The pleas of an honest heart following hard after God. Those are, that's, those are music to his ears. God loves to hear our requests. So yes, we should ask our father. Um, he's told us to. And he's promised that he, he, del- he not only delights in hearing from us, but that, that he will listen and answer. So, okay, so we see that we should ask of God, but then what should we be asking? What's the content or the, 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 the matter of our prayer, the substance? What should we be praying for? Because sometimes we're like, I don't want to ask for the wrong thing. What am I allowed to ask for? I love what Matt Chandler says, a pastor from Texas. He says, pray what you got, y'all, right? Or at least, I don't know if he says y'all, but pray what you got. Pray what you got. And, and here's what he means. What, what's on your heart? Right? He says, what, you, what you're desiring, what, you're, what, you're, what you need, what you feel like you need, bring that to God and ask for him. Ask it. Like, the worst that he can say is no, right? And, and now, he may not give it to you, but, but he delights in you asking. I had a friend who uh, every day said, I'm just going to start praying for a million dollars. See if the worst thing that the Lord can say is no, right? Now, to this day, he hasn't got his million dollars, so I think it's the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. I don't know. I'm not here to judge, but... Um, we know that our four-year-old is going to come and ask for things that are not necessarily in their best interest, even though that's what they want. Can I please stay up all night and just eat, eat, a, eat a punch bowl of ice cream, Daddy? Please, that's what my heart longs for. And then and you tell him, no, sweetheart, but thanks for asking, right? I hated hearing that as a kid, but thanks for asking. Can't wait to be a parent so I can pass that little torture along. Uh, but over time, we like to teach our kids what's good for them, right? We want them to know what is the best, best path for their lives. And God's doing the same thing in our lives. Psalm 37 uh, says, as we bring our heart to him, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Part of that process is learning from him, aligning our heart with his, that our hearts would delight in what his heart delights in so that our desires would become his desires. It's a learning process. So looking at at Psalm 25, I put together what I saw as the 16 at least requests that that David makes of God here. And I wanted to look at them uh, together. So he asks that he would not be put to shame, that, that his enemies wouldn't rejoice in a victory over him, that he would know God's ways, that he would learn God's paths, that he would be led and taught in God's truths, that God would remember his mercy and his love to David, that God would not remember David's sins from his youth, that his guilt would be pardoned, that God would turn to David and be gracious to him, that God would consider his affliction and his trouble, that God would forgive all of David's sins, that God would guard his soul, that God would deliver David, that, God would, that, that David would not be put to shame, that he would be preserved by integrity and uprightness, and, and then finally that Israel would be redeemed out of its, its troubles. So as we look at this list, um, 
I don't think this is just a, like a, a list handed down from God uh, to David, and this is now what we know. This is what we're allowed to pray for and nothing else, right? This is some like complete exhaustive list of the things we're allowed to pray for. No, no, no. What we see here is this is David pouring out his heart to God, and these are the things that are on his heart. But what do we know? We know that David is a man after God's own heart, right? He desires the things God desires. That does not mean he's perfect. We know the stories. David is not perfect. But he has a heart that's being shaped and guided by the Holy Spirit. And these requests are preserved for us today to learn from. So let's look at these. And I see two main categories I think, that, are, that are instructive for our hearts today. The first one is he prays for God's deliverance. God's deliverance. Uh, and, and two places that he sees that deliverance. First of all, it's from his enemies uh, outside of himself. The evil outside of David. Um, verse 2. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Don't give them victory over me. Verse 19. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me praying for deliverance so we know that david he had real flesh and blood enemies people who did not like him his his own nation turned against him he had other nations that he was warring against through much of his kingship And, and then saul himself like if you remember when david even before he came became king when saul knew his crown was going to be given over to david he literally hunted david down with his huge king army and tried to kill david and you thought we lacked peaceful transitions of power in America, right? That was rough. And, and, and you and I, maybe we, maybe we don't find ourselves trapped in caves with, with people hunting us down. But we can definitely resonate with Jesus' words. Remember what he prayed in, in, in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us from evil. And we pray, that, like David, that God, would you protect us from the lies of the enemy? For some of us, we, we've seen these, this evil played out in flesh and blood around us. Horrible things that have been done to us. Things that we've witnessed and experienced. Some of us, it's the lies that Satan whispers in our own brains that, that come against us. We've experienced the evil from without. And, and the prayer is, God, would you protect us from those lies and, and from the ways of, of the fallen world all around us and help us to believe. Help us to walk in the truth of who we are in Christ. That we would put on the full armor of God. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of, of salvation. That we would walk in your victory. Protect us, O oh God. And not only does he pray for deliverance from without, the evil from without, but also from within, from David himself. We are often our own worst enemy. And David prays this in verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. He says, the sins of my youth. He was, he was haunted by some of the, the sin and the guilt and the shame that came from his past. And, and you and I can know that in our own lives as well. Not only from evil from his past, but also today. He says, for, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Now, last week, if you were with us in the confession psalms, we, we talked about forgiveness. And, 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 and so we're not going to recycle that conversation here. But we see a prayer for deliverance from the enemy without and, and the enemy within sin. And so we see not only a prayer for God's deliverance, but the second thing, the second major category is a prayer for God's direction, his direction, his deliverance and his direction. Verse four, make me to know your paths, O Lord, teach me your paths, teach me your, let me know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. There we go. Um, This brings us to a request that many of us have. Um, we, We often ask, God, what is your will for my life? Would you show me the way? We come to something difficult to discern, and we go, God, I don't know which path to take. How do I, how do I know? I want to do what you want me to do, right? Um, 
we know that discerning God's will is, is not like playing with a Ouija board, right? Where we just kind of move our hands around. God, which college do you want me to go to? U A A. Okay, there we go. Right? You know that? We don't discern God's will through some oftentimes his will is is or sometimes his will is obvious. If we should say, God, should I should I murder that person or not? Right? We know clearly from his word what his heart is in that. Should I commit adultery? Should I steal something? There are clear commands. But oftentimes there is no direct command or, or word from God in, in the specific situation. The gray areas is, is where we tend to struggle. So we got, what is your, direct, what is your will for my life and, and, and what to watch on Netflix and, and how often to watch on Netflix? What should I be doing on my phone and what's my interaction with social media look like? What job should I take? Who, who should I marry or, or not marry? How many kids? What does that look like? How, how do I spend my downtime? What, what classes should I take this fall? Where should I live? What, what kind of car should I be driving? How much should I eat? What, what should my dress look like? How do we know God's will? Are we, are we waiting for some dream or vision, like a, a voice in our head, some, some obvious sign? Justin, move thine family to Hawaii. Yes, Lord. And there's like a palm tree growing out in the middle of my living room. It's just very, okay, here am I. Send me, right? Wherever you say, Lord, I will go. How do we know? We, we probably hasn't been your experience, right? Something that clear. So John Piper is helpful here. He says this, God guides us by bringing our hearts and minds into harmony or sympathy with his own heart and mind. So that when we study a situation, when we're looking at a situation and trying to discern what we should do, he says this, we discern, you might even say intuit, our intuition, what path would best accord with the character and purposes of God that we know from scripture. So he says, you're not necessarily going to see all the clues to a, a puzzle, but what we look as we look at the situation, we, we, know, we, we, we go to God's word and say, God, what, what do we know about your character and your purposes? And how will that help be our guiding light in making a decision here? The way David says it in verse 5 is this, lead me in your truth and teach me. Lord, I need you to teach me and lead me according to your truth. So lead me according to the truth of your character, who you are. What, what's your heart in this, God? And then in your purposes, what are, what are you doing? Now, how, how do we know God's, God's, God's word? How do we know what he, he wants from us? What he's saying is that we would be so in tune with God that, that we would know his heart. And then we'll know what to do when we face a situation. So two years into marriage, I've started to get to know Jill a little bit better. And I've had to ask her less often. Because I know her heart in something. Like if some, most of the time, on a random week, weekend morning, if I said, hey, do you want to spontaneously go on a hike? Like, I know what her, her, her character and purpose will say. I've got a laundry list of things to do. I do not want to go on a spontaneous hike today. And I'm so sad when she says no to me. But I don't even have to ask her. Because I know today, that's not, what's, that's not what she's going to want to do. So how do we know? How do we tune in to God's heart and discern what his character and purposes would, would say in leading us in this specific direction? Well, we know what Jesus said, that you would grow them or sanctify them through your truth. And your word is truth. It's, it's God's word, right? As we soak in God's word, we have the Holy Spirit as a mentor, as a tutor, teaching us his word and, and guiding us, convicting us according to that, that, that word, his heart, his truth. So let's make, a, a, make it kind of a, a practical example here to help us see this clearly. So imagine that you're deciding on whether or, not, whether or not to take a new job. Should I stay at the job I'm at or should I take this new job that's being presented before me? And it's a difficult situation. It's not clear. So our request here would be, God, would you help me see all of the relevant factors in this situation? And would you help me want what you want in this 
And then we, we turn to what, what does his word say? What are the principles we can look at? What does God's word say about his purposes for my life? We know from God, Jesus, our commander in chief, so clearly told us when he was leaving, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. The reason we're on planet earth right now is to go out and make disciples of all nations, to know Jesus and make him known. That's the purpose. And so we go, okay, we know, God, that's your purpose for our life. So in this new job that I would be taking, how would that impact my making disciples in my own home? In my, in, my, in my church family, in the work? Is this going to take me away from those things more often? Is it going to give me... There's a lot of factors to pray, pray through there, but, but how does it align with God's purposes in this world, to seek and save the lost and to be a part of that mission? Or about God's heart. What's, what's his character? Who is our God? He's a loving God, right? And so what are the, even the motives of my decision? It, we should be motivated by love. What we do is, 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 is sometimes not even as important as how we do it. So we're asking, how will this affect those around me, my loved ones? Am I just simply, is this a money grab? Am I just, is this selfish ambition in, in, in a vacuum? Or is this the best decision for me and, and those around me? And sometimes, after all that examination, it, it can turn out, it, it, we can go, man, I don't, I don't see either decision as a dead end here. I think I could stay at this job or I could go to the new job. And I could make disciples and I think I could be motivated by love. Well, then we have, a, we have freedom in Christ to make the choice. Freedom to, to, to choose either one. There doesn't have to be a right or, or wrong, which is both freeing and frustrating, isn't it? Like sometimes we just wish that God would tell us A or B. But he said, I'm growing you up to be spiritual adults to, to make your own decisions led by my character and my purposes. So we see that he's asking for God's deliverance and God's direction. And the next thing we look at is motive. Why should we ask? I see four motivations in Psalm 25 that, that, that we can look at this morning. First of all, it's because it glorifies God, the giver. It glorifies, when we ask God, it glorifies him. Verse 11 says, for, I love this, for your name's sake, for the sake and the glory and the honor of your name, Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. God, would you show yourself? To be so merciful, so gracious that the world would see what a forgiving, loving, awesome God that you are. When God answers our prayers in a way that shows that it had to be his work, that I couldn't have done that. It had to be him. It shows how great he is. Look at what our God just did. Verse 3 says, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. He says, when we wait for our God, it's not in vain. We will not be disappointed. We will not be shamed. When David's given victory over his enemies, it doesn't show how great David is. It shows how great his God is. His God is more powerful than the surrounding nation's gods. We, we, we pray to him. We bring our needs because it glorifies the need meter. The second motivation is because we're in need. Look, we, we read through this psalm. We hear David's his bleeding heart. We see that he's afraid. We see that David is alone. We see that David is, feels guilty. We, feel that he, we see that he's confused. I get this from 16 to 18. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Can you relate to any of that? Have you been there? Are you there right now? Like David, we take our needs to him because we have legitimate needs that, that we can't solve, that we can't figure out that we can't save ourselves from and so we come to the one who can who delights in us taking those requests to him and delights in answering that's the next motivation is because he answers and he gives the reason we we come to him is because we know he's a god who who answers 
And, and that number one, he will deliver us when we ask him to. Uh, look, look at verse, or he will direct us. Indeed, none who, or he will deliver us. And none who wait for you shall be put to shame. If you wait upon the Lord, if you bring this to him, you know that he will be faithful to deliver us. Verse 10, he will direct us. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. The paths that he leads us down, he's not going to abandon us halfway down the trip. He's going to see us all the way to the end. That's our God. Now imagine if we really believed this stuff. If we really believed that when we ask God, that he guarantees that he will deliver us and he will direct us. Man, we become the, the persistent widow in Jesus' parable who, who never stops praying right? Prayer would become not our last resort, but our first resort if we really believe these things. And then finally, the motivation behind asking him is because it changes us. It changes us. David's heart is being changed. It's actually being formed in the process of him making a petition. That we see in Psalm 51, he says, create in me a clean heart. Lord, would you change me? Forgive me. Clean me. Change me. I had some people who were upset about some things in the church, and they wanted to ask me some questions. And so we, we sat down together, and I remember watching their faces as their requests were coming out of their mouths and traveling along their sound, the sound waves to my ears. I was watching their countenance change in the process before a response was even given. They were being changed simply because they were being heard and cared for. And the same thing can happen when we bring our request to God. That very process of prayer can be a refining, changing, shaping process. I want you to close your eyes again, if you would. Uh, another exercise I think our attention can help with here. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine walking into the throne room of God right now. We kind of think of it, you know, Old Testament vision style. You look around, you see the angels with the eyeballs singing, holy, holy, holy. We, 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 we see the smoke, we see the crystal sea that goes forever in every direction. And there's God in, in the middle of it, in his brilliant light. Can't even look straight into his face. I mean, you picture the most beautiful thing you've ever seen on this planet, Grand Canyon, Denali on a clear day. It's got nothing in the pres- as, as, as the presence of God. And as we walk into that throne room, we have our little list of prayer requests fluttering to the ground where our jaw is currently located. And here's the king of the universe who looks down at us and says, come on up. Come on up into the palm of my hand. In the name of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, I want to hear all about it. I want to hear every request, every question, every fear, every doubt As we bring our requests into the presence of God, it changes us. The very process of coming into his throne room and asking, let alone his responses and answers, are a perspective changer or a heart aligner or transforming. You can open your eyes. We see at the end of, of this psalm, we see David praying. In verse 22, the king prays not just for himself, but for his kingdom. Verse 22, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David's a changed man. When we see that our needs are met in, in, in God, for us as believers today, we see that they're all met in Christ, that we are safe and secure in him, that changes us and frees us to be able to focus on the needs around us, right? If my needs are met, I'm now free to consider other people before myself in love. These are the motivations of David's heart 
and they become ours as well. And the final thing we want to look at is the manner. How should we be asking of these things of God? I love that in David's requests, they are, they are woven in and out of his declarations, his confident declarations of who his God is. We see four ways that he comes confidently. A, he comes confidently in who his God is, that he is who he says he is. Verse 1, David says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I give you myself, my person. Why? Verse 2, because in you I trust. The reason I give myself to you is because I trust you. We see the principle here that we come to trust. And we come to trust the giver, not just the things that he gives us. The giver himself. I love Eugene Peterson gives the illustration of it when a a little baby is first born. They they come to their mother because of the things that their mother can give them. The milk, right? But as they grow, as they grow in relationship, they come to find a love and a sufficiency in who their mother is, not just in the things that their mother can give them. As we grow as believers, we love our God, not just because of the good things that he gives us, but because of the giver himself. And David finds this from meditating on who his God is. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. That's who you are. You're a good God. You're a good God who's for me and not against me. And you're upright. The things you do are right and they're good and they're trustworthy. Therefore, therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Because he is this, therefore, he will faithfully teach us and guide us. So we have to ask the Aladdin question. Do we really trust him? Do we really trust him? Not just on paper, I know the right Bible answer. But do I really trust my God? And, and, and most of, most day, a lot of times throughout the day, I don't, right? Seeing by the way that I live. And so as we gaze upon him, as we look on his truth in scripture, as we look into the face of Jesus, our gaze will start to align our hearts with him and trust so we're confident that he is who he says he is. We're also confident that he guides sinners. We're confident that he guides I love this in verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. I love that he says he instructs sinners. Not he, he instructs perfect people. He instructs jacked up people like you and me. Those are the people that he's faithfully leading and guiding and growing. If we were on the right path, he wouldn't need to lead us, right? If we knew it all by ourselves. And then we also see, see that he's, he confidently, we, we, David was confident that he guides the humble. He guides the humble. Verse 9, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble in his way. He leads the humble as opposed to the one who thinks that they know the right way. Remember last week when we talked about that wild stallion? That, that you, they had to yank on the bit and the bridle in order to get them the, their own way. And their hoarse voice, they go, my way is better. Right? That's my my horse impression. I know everything, right? It's an arrogant donkey, if you will. This, the humble, the humble man, the humble woman is teachable, is leadable. Now listen, God is not going to force us to go his way. One day every knee will bow. But right now he's calling, inviting people to follow him and trust him. He's not going to force that on us. But if we humbly trust him and obey him, here's what's promised. He speaks through Peter. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He says, for those who humble themselves before God, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. But it's in his timing. Verse 3, that's why I underlined the word wait there. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. This is not, prayer is not an immediate transaction. We rub the lamp, we tell God our list of needs, and boom, 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 they come out. We wait We ask and then we wait on his deliverance. We wait on his direction. He says, you're not going to find shame in that. Like the way Derek Kidner said it, to wait on the Lord is to accept his time and therefore his wisdom. 
that true humility is to say, my timeline is not necessarily the correct one. My way is not necessarily the right path. My wisdom is what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the garden, right? I'm going to lean on my own understanding. Part of asking humbly is to accept that sometimes the answer will be no. And to trust that that is for our best. Or sometimes the answer is not yet. Just trust that his ways are better and they're higher and they're for us. The last thing he's confident in is that his God is a promise keeper. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. God has made us good promises. And we can trust that he will keep those promises. That all his promises are yes and amen, Paul says. They're yes and amen in Christ. See, I believe that all of Scripture points to Jesus. Literally, all of the Bible points to Jesus. And so, therefore, Psalm 32 is no exception. King David here is a shadow of the true king to come from his royal line, the person of Jesus. And just like David, Jesus, as a human, experienced times of need. But unlike David, who sometimes took his desires into his own hands, like when he took Bathsheba, is the screaming example from his life, Jesus always brought his request to the Father. We remember him in the garden. He says, Father, would you take this cup from me? A prayer of deliverance. Now, did God fail to answer him in that moment? No, because what did he ask? Not my will, but yours be done. This is what I want. Father, I ultimately have to trust your will for me. And what do we see? God faithfully directs Jesus. And he faithfully delivers Jesus. But he did not deliver Jesus faithfully around the cross away from the cross, he faithfully delivered Jesus through the cross. And it was sustaining Jesus all the way through death and on the other side to resurrection life forever that we find God's promises in Jesus come true. And this is what Jesus prayed. He's talking to his disciples in that intimate moment in the upper room. He said, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we come, we come only trusting and obeying Jesus. Hearts aligned with him. Can our requests be answered? And all of our requests are answered in Jesus, including our most basic need of, of being in relationship with God. The only reason we can enter boldly into that throne room of the brilliance of his light. No sinner can approach into the holy of holies, into his presence, but by the blood and righteousness of Jesus our deliverance is found in Jesus. Our direction is found in the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That all of God's promises, his covenant promises to us, are yes and amen in Jesus. And so this, this idea, when we pray, at the end of a prayer, we say, in Jesus' name, that's not just some throwaway line. That's the only way that we can connect to God in life and in prayer the only way that those promises can be kept and answered is through Jesus in his name. And so we pray to the Jesus that we follow, the Jesus Christ, as we take up our cross and follow him. That just like with David, who, who was promised direction and deliverance, but went through much suffering and sorrow. Jesus himself was saved and delivered and directed by his God, not around the suffering, but through the suffering. Brothers and sisters, today, you and I can get, be guaranteed that when we come to our God with those requests, he will, he will give us what we ask. He will direct us faithfully, and he will deliver us faithfully. But it's not going to be around the trouble. It's not going to be away. From, you're always going to have health and wealth in your life. That's not the promise of the disciple. The promise is that he will guide us faithfully through the path of suffering. And he will actually conform us into Jesus' image as we die daily. 
We trust him. And so we give him our very life. We die daily to our own desires, our own wisdom and way unto him. And he will faithfully direct us and deliver us for his name's sake. Amen. We pray with me. Father God, we come into your throne room by the blood of your son in his righteousness alone. Knowing that you are a good father who delights to hear us. That delights, there, there is no request, Lord, that's too petty. We're not bothering you. You want us to crawl up into your lap and ask you for good things. You're also in the process of teaching us what those ways and those things are going to be. So, Father, we ask that you would direct us and deliver us for your glory by your Son. And, Father, those in this room that come with heavy hearts, whether it's needing deliverance from sin without or sin within, Lord, whether it's those who are trying to figure out the direction, where they're supposed to go, what, what following you looks like in this complicated mess of life, or that we would bring those requests to the one who delights in us asking and who is faithful, who is both willing and able to answer us. Father, we bring our request to the one we know wants to hear. And we come in the name of the one that all these promises are made true, that every blessing is found in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we ask. It's in his name that we answer. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.